0: It's playoff time, and this weekend at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium, the Chiefs will entertain the Miami Dolphins in the Super Wild Card Weekend. It's the Dolphins' first visit to the City of Fountains in the Chiefs' kingdom in the playoffs since the longest game ever played in pro football history all the way back in 1971. We'll have George Karloftis on the podcast. He'll get into what's made this defense so good and why they're ready for the playoffs. It's all brought to you by... Ticketmaster. Third down and goal to go. Stick wants to throw it. He's going to pump fake it. Scramble! He's hit! And goes down and fumbles it! Picked up by Mike Edwards! Edwards at the 30! Room to run! A minute who knocks it out and Edwards trying to get a defensive score! 30, 20, 10, 5! Touchdown! Kansas City! And hi everyone, I'm Mitch Holtis, voice of the Chiefs, along with senior team reporter Matt McMullen. It's postseason time. Yep, the Chiefs are used to this now. I don't want to say that uh, in a Cavalier way, but since 2018, uh, the Chiefs are 11-3 and in the playoffs and get to host the Miami Dolphins this week on what could be the coldest playoff game in Kansas City Chiefs-Dallas Texan franchise history as uh, the temperatures will be uh, sub-zero with the wind chills on a Saturday night but hosting that game. But looking forward to it and a chance the Chiefs have been so good in the playoffs, the most successful team in the postseason in the NFL since Patrick Mahomes has become QB1, and we open the curtain on yet another postseason.
1: Well, think about this, because it's important to smell the roses a little bit here. This will be the Chiefs' 15th playoff game since 2018. So in the last six years, the 15th playoff game and the 12th home game, right? 12th home game so i mean i say it every time but this is the golden era of chiefs football i mean think about back to 2015 how much we would love to host a playoff game and that we've hosted all these playoff games we're going to host another one here and hopefully we'll keep hosting them uh, through the afc title game into the super bowl
0: put it in perspective think of the good teams of the len dawson era and the bobby bell era old municipal stadium hosted one playoff game, and it was the one against the Dolphins in the longest game ever played. When the Chiefs made those two trips to the Super Bowl, they did it on the road back uh, to Super Bowl One and Super Bowl Four. but here we are, the chase for Super Bowl 58, but before we do so, I love it. When we get in our virtual space station and we travel around the Earth uh, with Matt McMullen, uh, what do you got for us? I got four really
1: good ones today, so... A shout out to Steve from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Big day in Ann Arbor. This is for today. Rashi Rice, for number four. As always, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Rashi Rice, hopefully, going to have a big playoff run. Yeah. But Steve is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The Wolverines won the national championship last night. Perfect. So I'm sure Ann Arbor is a fun place to be right now. <laughs> uh, Steve has been a fan since the late 60s, growing up in Ohio. So I'm curious if he's a Wolverine or a Buckeye. Ooh. I'll get back to you on that. But uh, he's lived in Ann Arbor for the last 42 years in the shadow of the big house, watching many future Chiefs players and some future enemies. Uh, He doesn't make it here for games often, but his favorite time was when he saw us beat the Steelers in 2015, which, of course, started the winning streak uh, in the playoff streak back 2015, made the playoffs every year since then, nine consecutive years. My favorite part of that, and I emailed him back this, was Jamal Charles as a kick return man, (laughs) which seems laughably unfair in retrospect. Uh, Shout out to Herb and Kathy. Uh, They lived in Kansas City back in 1986. Their first ever game was on Monday Night Football against the Raiders. That will make you a fan for life, right? Um, Now they're up in Kohler, Wisconsin, about 60 miles south of Lambeau. Been there since 1991. They were harassed continually by Packer fans until Super Bowl 54. Now the Packer fans have quieted down a little (laughs) bit. Understandably so. Uh, Aaron is in Grants Pass, Oregon. Uh, I'm sure a beautiful place. I've been to Medford, Oregon, which is nearby. And amazing place. Uh, he grew up in Sacramento as a Niners fan, but made the switch after Joe Montana got traded to Kansas City. And he's been a fan ever since, which I'm sure Super Bowl 54 was a good one for him as well. Chiefs What's interesting in
0: that era of fan, there are so many that swished when Joe Montana became the Chiefs quarterback. <laughs> it's cool. And they we, stuck hear this, with we hear us this too.
1: story over and over. Yeah, they stay with us. Yeah, well, uh, Aaron certainly <laughs> did. Now, Aaron is like me. Aaron's wife is a Broncos fan and he is slowly converting her. I have successfully done it, so I am a case to show people that it can be done. If you look at photos of Ellie and her family coming to Chiefs Broncos games over the years, (laughs) you will see her attire change over time to where she is fully in red, so... Keep fighting the good fight, Aaron. This is
0: why you have marital counseling, (laughs) everybody. Make sure, if you're going to get married, get this covered in marital counseling. It's very important. I've done it.
1: Aaron can do it as well. (laughs) And then lastly, shout out to Kenny in Pennsylvania. Huge Chiefs fan since the 1990s. His son was born in 2016, which means that his son does not know a world. Whether well, Chiefs are not AFC West champions, let's keep that going. I love what we think about it. He's
0: eight years old, right? <laughs> eight years old. He's eight years he's old. He's a person. And he's, he's, <laughs> he's just—he's got T-shirts and hats like we had last week. So that's I, what the Chiefs do. They it. won the division, you know. Now, oh, is he from Shingle House, Pennsylvania? So just Pennsylvania. I don't okay. know where specifically. Because Shingle House is a hotbed. Uh, of Chiefs' kingdom fervor. You mentioned Lambeau, though, with the couple that lives just south of Lambeau. This feels like a Lambo game, uh, as Kansas City will host the Miami Dolphins. But it doesn't matter, okay? that's the, the theme of this podcast is dashes and letters, meaning you can go back through time. And other than the Ice Bowl of 1967, which with the Packers won uh, in the coldest game ever in pro football history, beating the Dallas Cowboys. Nobody seems to remember how cold it was or what the conditions were. If it was pouring rain or a blizzard, what they do remember is the score. And if you won or lost or advanced. You and I look at games. uh, That's how we spend most of our time. We're going back through these databases. But we don't know what the conditions were like uh, unless we do the deep dive, which is why just winning this game, no matter the conditions, is first on the plate of the Kansas City Chiefs and figuring out a way to win no matter what. And
1: it'll be tough. I mean, for both teams, they have to deal with these conditions. You know what's kind of funny? is, So we do our pregame show on the field before the game. So I've been talking to my wife about like, what we're going to wear. <laughs> we need to bundle up, right? And then I realized that we go inside, and she'll be actually sitting outside the entire game. So she's like, what are you talking about? Why, you need to be all warm. I'm the one that's outside for three-plus hours. That's the beauty of Chiefs' kingdom, though, is how many cities would come out and be loud and be crazy and fill the stadium when it's one degree outside? Not many, but Kansas City's certainly one of them. So the atmosphere is going to be incredible. It reminds me of in 2016 when I was an intern with the Chiefs, my first ever game was that Titans game Mm. where it was legitimately one degree on the field. It's tough. It's a different breed of human to be able to play football in that, but our guys will be ready.
0: But how do you win? How do you get the dash with the number in front that's larger than the one behind it and have that dash, and how do you get the W? That's how we explore. That's what we explore in this uh, Defending the Kingdom podcast. And we're going to have George Karloftis on in here just a bit. But I do need to tell you some historical marks here for the Miami Dolphins in the postseason. 1-11 on the road in the playoffs in the last 50 years. That sails past the time of Dan Marino. This is going back to the time uh, right after the Dolphins beat the Chiefs in that longest game ever played at the old Municipal Stadium at 22nd in in Brooklyn. They have not won a playoff game, the Dolphins, since 2000, the 2000 wildcard game. That's a 22-year drought, 0-5 since that time. Only Detroit Detroit has had a longer drought without a playoff win, and they think they're going to get that taken care of. Uh, in a game in the wild card game around against the rams but that puts things in perspective here as we look at this 2023 miami dolphin team that we're going to face in the fact that they are staring down the barrel of some playoff futility at least well going back five decades and this squad is
1: interesting because there was a point this season where you could make the argument that they were the best team in the nfl no question and even as we as recently as week 13 going into week 14 they were 9-3 and three and in contention for the number one seed, but they lost three of their last five games, including that loss to the Titans, which was a crazy one. The Titans were trailing by like 13 points with two minutes left, and the Titans found a way to win that game. And in this stretch here, I mean, over the last two games, uh, they haven't scored more than 20 points, which is shocking considering they were lighting people up early in the year. But they've had five giveaways in their last two games, and they've allowed 288 rushing yards over their last two games. And really, the theme with these guys all year long has been the teams that they are supposed to beat, for the most part, they just hammer into the earth, like they just destroy these teams that are not playoff teams. But all year long, they have struggled against teams with winning records and that went to the playoffs. They beat the Cowboys a couple weeks ago. That was so a good only win went
0: over a, a winning team, but.
1: That has been the narrative for these guys. They're trying to change it. And it's up to the Chiefs to maintain that narrative and take care of business on Saturday.
0: They are a quick strike team. So the first point of this Defending the Kingdom podcast is the Chiefs. It's imperative in all three phases, because the elements really dictate success or failure in the special teams. Uh, Because of 15-yard snap on a punt even before you kick it, what does that ball look like coming off uh, the foot? And Miami. He's the only team in the league, and if I'm not mistaken, they've given up a punt return and a kickoff return for a touchdown. It dictated the game against the Bills. They're in control of that game, and they give up a 95-yard punt return for a touchdown. Uh, But the Chiefs have to be pristine in these conditions, very cold in the special teams as well. But getting off to a fast start is not even a luxury in this game. It's a necessity. It's how the Dolphins live. Listen to this. The Dolphins have 108 offensive points of what's called a quick-strike drive. That means four snaps or less. The next closest team in the NFL is San Francisco with 77. The Dolphins live off the score quickly in a possession, get ahead in a game. Twelve times this year the Dolphins have led at halftime. They're 11-1 in those games. If they don't lead at half. They are 0-5. This is a team that wants to play downhill from the first second of the game, and the win over these guys in Germany was just the opposite for the Chiefs.
1: I went back and looked at my notes for our podcast before we played the Dolphins in Germany, and my thoughts are very similar to what I had written then. These guys want to play the game on their terms. It is their terms. This is how they want to play it, and it's very difficult to beat them when the game is on their terms. For the Chiefs in this one, and we did this back in Germany, we have to play the game on our terms and force Miami to play the game on our terms. And they don't like that very much because what they want to do is they want to get a lead and then get going with this running game, which is dynamic. And they want to stretch you out horizontally as well as vertically with their dynamic playmakers. And for the Chiefs, you cannot allow that to get going. First, you have to stop this running game, which is really impressive. Now, it has struggled in recent weeks, but still, they have some very good players Raheem Mostert will likely be back for this game. He's missed some time lately. But he led the NFL in rushing touchdowns with 18. And he had 30 runs of 10 or more yards, fourth most of any player in the NFL. Devon Achan is the other guy that's part of this. We didn't see him back in week nine. He was injured on injured reserve. Well, he's back now, he's averaging nearly eight yards per carry on more than 100 rushing attempts. And he has 22 runs of 10 or more yards in just 11 games. So that's what they want to do. They want to get the football to those guys stretch you out horizontally, and that opens things up vertically. Well, here's the good news for the Chiefs. Kansas City has allowed the fewest big plays of any team in the NFL, just 46 plays allowed of 20 or more yards. They have been so good defensively all season, for a lot of reasons, but in large part because they do not allow big explosive plays. And they didn't allow big explosive plays back in Week 9, one of the keys to the victory. So you got to limit those big plays, both in the running game and in the passing game. But first in the running game, because that is where this Miami squad really gets going. And again, got to play this game
0: on our terms, not theirs. And to take your point further here, the Miami Dolphins, we think of chunk plays in the passing game for the most part. Miami led the NFL this year by far with the most 50-yard runs. You mentioned Mostert, <laughs> but H Han, who we did not see, who was the fastest player in the combine at 4-3-2. The guy is just lightning fast. Runs of 76 and 67 yards. So they get chunk plays on designed runs, which is run fits are important, but tackling is even more important. And in cold weather, tackling becomes a premium. We've seen it time and time again. But this is a team that you think, well, they're going to run the ball and plow it into the line. Mostert throughout his career, and especially A. Chan in his rookie year, are home run hitters in the the running game. We haven't even mentioned Tyreek Hill yet, but we'll throw him in there. And they'll use him in the running game some, where they'll run and affect jet sweeps or flip passes to try to get him on the perimeter. Something the Chiefs did an excellent job of, in Frankfurt to beat these guys until the end. You'll remember those long runs by Raheem Mostert that gave the Dolphins a chance, and then they had the bad snap, and the Chiefs were able to hold at the end. But run fits and tackling is a premium against the Dolphins because these guys can go the distance on runs more than any team in the NFL.
1: And really, there are three elements to it that have to be paramount on every play. The defensive ends have to hold the edge. The linebackers have to stay disciplined and know where the run is going and our corners have to tackle. What's the good news? We've done that all year in all three of those areas. So that's the first goal against this Miami offense. Like you said, they did a great job of it back in Germany. And you got to do it again here. And all of a sudden, if you can make Miami one-dimensional, we can talk about Tua Tangavaloa here in a moment, but that's where all of a sudden it's much more difficult for this Dolphins offense to score points. And if you look at the last several weeks, that's kind of the the rut they've fallen into. They get behind, they try throwing it over and over again, get away from their running game that makes them so good. And all of a sudden, this Miami offense, which is loaded with playmakers, isn't nearly as effective.
0: Again, against teams that are over 500. Uh, they have their minus 91 in point differential. Against teams that have losing records, they are plus 196. Remember, they almost set an NFL record against the Broncos way back at the beginning of the season. But a Kansas City defense, which did a great job against uh, the Dolphins in the game in Frankfurt, Germany, has also become one of the top three defenses in the National Football League. So it's why... Matt and I caught up with George Karloftis having an outstanding year against the run and the pass, holding the edge and rushing the quarterback. We check in with the guy that they love to call Furious George. Yep, it's playoff time, so for sure we need to have George Karloftis on uh, defending the kingdom, but I want to ask you first and foremost, just this year two, what's happened uh, to take it even another step further? What has happened for you to get even better?
2: I think when you talk about the improvements made from year to year, you got to go back in the off season. You know, I made, you know, I, I reflected upon year one and what I could improve, what I could do better. I took notes, and uh, came up with a game plan for the off season. Tried to do everything in my power to become a better player so I could help this team. And uh, you know, I feel like I've done that. I've made strides. I have a lot of things to improve on, but uh, I feel like as a collective, as a defense, we had so many guys do that and take that next step. And uh, I think we're playing some pretty good football right now. That
1: was the exciting conversation all off season because you guys as a rookie class last year as a defense helped the Chiefs win a Super Bowl and then the yep. question was can you take that next step and be even better this year and the answer is yes. I mean you guys finished as the number two scoring defense in the NFL. Right. How much pride do you take in that that you guys as a group could be the defense that you were this season?
2: Absolutely. I mean we, we talked about it. We, we, knew, we knew what we had to do in order to reach this point. You know we came a little short. We wanted to be number one but um, you know, we just had to make those strides in the offseason and training camp and OTAs coming together, being selfless, being disciplined, listening to our coaches, doing all that uh, in order to help this team win games at the end of the day.
0: Last year, it was a record. You're going, OK, rookie. Hey, we win the Super Bowl. But have so many rookies played on defense and special teams and won the Super Bowl. Now, as we go into the playoffs in a second time, how helpful is that to you? and the rest of your cohorts?
2: Just having that experience. You know, we have, we have some new guys that haven't really been there. So being able to, to be a leader and tell them how that really is and how the game changes in the playoffs, I think that's really helpful. Uh, but, but on top of that, you know, you have that experience. You know what it's, what it's like. You know what to expect in those games. Uh, so you adjust and you prepare accordingly.
1: For you guys as a pass rush, what's the challenge of facing a player like Tua, who likes to get rid of the ball super quickly?
2: <laughs> you just said it. I mean, he likes to get rid of it super quick, you know. So you got to get your hands up. You know, there, there's diff- there's certain things you do when you play, when you play each quarterback. He's one of those elite guys, you know. So uh, you prepare differently for those guys. Um, they have a great offensive line. They got all those weapons, and uh, they're great offense. I think mean, the number one offense or whatever it is, but. Uh, you try to get there by any means necessary. You adjust things in your game plan maybe to make him hold the ball more or get you get your hands up before you get there. You just got to stay disciplined, listen to your coaching, and everything else will
0: take care of itself. But you're a Purdue guy, so you've been around great engineering. Yep. Matt and I talk about this. How can you affect, even with Tua, the aerodynamics of the throw, <laughs> okay? Even if you don't knock it down, even just like how the ball's released, can you affect um, the timing of the play?
2: I I don't think that's really by getting your hands up, really by being disruptive, like getting in his face, like me getting near the quarterback, him really feeling the pressure, like Chris getting back there, Mike or Charles or whoever's out there, you know, affecting him, making him move, making him scramble, making him feel the pressure. I think that can affect the ball and where it's thrown.
1: You guys have been a SWAT team all year between you, like (laughs) you and Charles and and Chris and others getting your hands up, and hopefully we see that here in this one. I want to ask you about Chris, too, before we let you go, because – it was awesome seeing everyone like embrace him yeah, on I the sideline last great. week after he got that sack. What was that moment like for you guys as a defense?
2: It was special, man. To, to see that guy get a big bonus like that—he he works his tail off every single week. He gets double teamed more than any other player I've ever seen, and you know to see him get—you know—getting double digits is a milestone, you know. Um, so to see him get that again, I, I don't know how many years it's been that he's gotten that, but it's significant. And to see him doing as a defensive lineman after being double teamed, after facing a bunch of adversity, man, I, I just couldn't be happier for him because he, he, you know, he's he's the piston that drives the engine, you know. So he's trying to catch up to you with 10 and a half sacks, right? Yeah, we're we're tied. We're tied. <laughs> so
0: it always goes back. He pissed an engine. it's all. It's it's, 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 a, it's this Purdue background. <laughs> One final question, though is the fact that you guys were number one in the NFL in points allowed in the second half. Mm. You only gave up 120 points all year in the second half in the regular season. Why was that, and how important will that be in this game against the Dolphins?
2: Right. I think we always talk about finishing, just finishing game. Maybe the first half didn't go exactly how we wanted. We're going to make sure in the second half that we stay disciplined, we, we execute our assignments, we just play tougher,
0: we're more physical than the other team, and then let the chips fall as they may. All right, we're ready. Turn him loose. George Karloftis in the playoffs. So, George, perfect here to look at this Dolphin team and how to defend him. Uh, But you asked him a question, which is important here. With Tua Tonga-Vailoa, it's a hot potato, man. He wants the ball to come out so fast. These guys are the RPO kings. We talked about it before the interview with George, how they're explosive in the run game. You have to respect. Run fits. You laid it out there. This is also a team that likes to run the play action and the RPO game. Let's get real nerdy here with average time to throw (laughs) times.
1: So Tua Tangavaloa led the NFL in passing yards this year with 4,624. And nobody gets rid of the football faster than Tua. It is his bread and butter. It's the same thing we talked about back ahead of week nine. He loves getting rid of the football quickly. His average time to throw is 2.32 seconds, easily the fastest of any quarterback in the NFL this year. He has gotten rid of the football in less than two and a half seconds on 62% of his dropbacks. So it's truly, he gets the snap, he throws it right away. It's why he's one of the least pressured quarterbacks in the NFL, because there is no time to pressure him because he gets rid of the football so quickly. And when he gets rid of the football quickly in less than 2.5 seconds on those dropbacks, Pro Football Focus ranks him as the best quarterback in the NFL, completing 75% of his passes, 19 touchdowns, just six picks nearly 3,000 passing yards. But when he holds on to the ball longer than 2.5 seconds, that PFF ranking drops to 12th. He completes just 60% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, 8 picks, and just 1,700 passing yards. And against the Chiefs back in week 9, His average time to throw was 2.52 seconds, his fourth highest time of the season. So the Chiefs were very successful at making sure his first read was covered, not letting him zip the ball out of there. And it becomes a different game all of a sudden for Tua when that first read is not there. He has to scramble. He gets pressured. He maybe makes a mistake. The Chiefs did a great job of that back in week nine. That's what we need here again uh, in this game on Saturday.
0: These guys, and to your point, second in the league in most play-action passes, which in essence is an RPO, uh, and at 28%. So nearly a third of their passes are play-action. The league average is about 20%. So it gives you an idea of just how much they lean on that RPO play-action game and the ball coming out fast for them. But this is also a big mistake team. They have five interceptions uh, that they have given up of 20 yards or more. They've allowed three pick-sixes. The Chiefs had a scoop-and-score against them in Germany. Remember the Brian Cook play started with uh, Trent McDuffie. I mentioned uh, a punt return for a touchdown they've allowed, a kickoff return for a touchdown they've allowed. So on giveaway points, they are near the bottom of the league. On 25 giveaways, they've given up 91 giveaway points.
1: It's tough, and it's tough to win games when you're doing that. And they're also a squad that is missing some major contributors that I think is worth talking about. So they've dealt with injuries all year. And they're likely to have Jalen Waddle back for this game and Raheem Mostert, who I mentioned earlier. Both of those guys are dealing with ankle injuries. Mostert also has a knee injury. But there are a bunch of players who we even saw back in Week 9 that won't be out there for them this time around. So edge rusher Jalen Phillips, a really good young edge rusher, mm-hmm. uh, had six and a half sacks through eight games. He's on IR. He's not going to play. Edge rusher Bradley Chubb, 11 sacks. We know about Chubb because he was in Denver for so long. Got hurt a few weeks ago, out for the season. Edge rusher Andrew Van Ginkel has six sacks this year. He got hurt last week against Buffalo. Sneaky he's not gonna good play. player
0: too. Sneaky good player.
1: Absolutely. Uh, cornerback Xavier Howard. It's unlikely he plays. I suppose it's possible, but unlikely. Unsneaky good player. Yeah, for he's, sure. He's premier. Linebacker Jerome Baker. I believe he's their defensive signal caller. He is. He's the green dot. He's not going to play in this game. And linebacker Cameron Good not going to play either. Mm. So it all wraps up into this. They'll be without three of their top five leaders and pressures defensively. And then Phillips, Chubb, Van Ginkle, Baker, and Howard, those guys combined for 247 defensive snaps against us back in week nine. So if you're talking about mistakes overall, it's not just mistakes they make offensively. In this game, when you have a lot of players that maybe are not starters, they're reserves in there defensively. Uh, On a cold night, I'm curious if we see some mistakes from this Miami defense as well.
0: And they're feast or famine on defense because they've had some big defensive plays. They have 27 takeaways. That puts them plus two. And we know the Chiefs are finish the year next to last in the giveaway-takeaway ratio. But of those 27 takeaways, they have 106 points off those takeaways. They have four pick sixes. And what's interesting, only one of those pick sixes is from a DB. The other three have come from either linemen or linebackers, and guys that you mentioned are missing. So for the Chiefs, though, this Chiefs offense, and for Patrick Mahomes, who's played in cold-weather games, he's played in a lot of playoff games. We went over it with George with the playoff experience of this team to somehow replicate what they could do, uh, what they did in Germany. You've got to get off to a fast start against a fast-start team. And uh, you've got to be somewhat pristine in this game, especially early in protecting the football and getting advancements, chunk plays, but most importantly, uh, avoid those giveaways. So important. I mean, that's the key to the game, and that has been the thing after losses
1: on our podcast that we've talked about. I mean, how many times this season in Chiefs losses have you looked at those and said, nah, the Chiefs beat themselves there? You can't beat yourself in a moment like this, right? You just can't. And for the Chiefs offensively, I truly believe on a cold night against a team that has a lot of injuries defensively, You run the football effectively. I mean, look at what Isaiah Pacheco did a couple weeks ago against the Bengals. 130 rushing yards, yards after contact, just over and over again. You do that, you move down the field, and you've got to finish in the red zone. And fortunately, this Miami defense has struggled in the red zone this year. They're allowing touchdowns on 69% of red zone drives, fifth highest rate in the league. So for the Chiefs, Eat up clock, march down the field, wear out this Dolphins defense, finish in the red zone, and then defensively, got to make Tua work through his progressions and make them play from behind all night long.
0: Again, a Dolphins defense that loves big plays. They're third in the league in sacks. We're second. Uh, Baltimore's first. Uh, But they're third with 56 sacks. Stay away from Stay ahead of the chains. Remember, the play that got Miami back in the game, in the game in Germany, Chiefs are ready to maybe seize control of that game and blow them out, up 21-0. Was a sack strip fumble recovery and everything changed. That's what Miami lives off of as well on the defensive side. We'll close this way. One thing I'm excited about offensively in this game was Rashi Rice getting a chance to rest in the game, in um, the final game in Los Angeles. But then to have Pacheco rest, Kelsey to rest, that's the triangle that becomes your base in the playoffs. We talked about it before earlier on a podcast, but the Pacheco Rice Kelsey triangle with Mahomes in the middle of it, is where you could flourish in the playoffs. And finally, those
1: guys got a breather. I mean, we talked about all of December how the other team had extra time to rest before they played us every single week. And it felt like we were playing games on short rest while our opponent every week was playing games on extended rest. Well, finally, these key components of our offense had an opportunity to take a breath to watch the reserves go out there and get a win over the Chargers, which was awesome, to get their 11th win of the year, and then just carry that momentum here into the playoffs. And the atmosphere is going to be incredible, and our guys will be fired up, rested, and ready to go. And, you know, the good news, today is Tuesday. Got our first injury report of the week. Just Juanye Morris and Justin Ross weren't practicing. Everyone else was practicing. That is the benefit of having that game where you can rest your primary starters Get an extra week for everyone, and hopefully
0: we see the benefit of that on Saturday. No question. It has a chance of being maybe the coldest postseason game in franchise history. Whether it is or isn't, years from now when they look back on it, all that will matter are the numbers in front and after the dash and if it's a W or an L.